Welcome back to the Back and Forth Podcast. I'm your host, Stat Matt, a.k.a. Matt Raftery. Joined alongside, as always, by my co-host, Joey G. And after a week and a half, well, probably almost two weeks since our last recording, we're finally back. Finally back. Um, took back some, and healthy. Yes. Took some unexpected time off. Um, I got the uh, the vid, as the uh, kids say. Yeah. So. And then I got, we got a, I got a little scare, but I think it was just uh just the cold, so finally getting over that. So, um, yeah, Matt started feeling better, and then Joey got sick. So thank God we're we're both uh, healthier now, and it's been a what? It's been two weeks, hasn't it? Yeah. We're close to that. But so. uh, both of us have cleared the health and safety protocols <laughs> and uh, A-OK to go. Uh, but a lot has happened since our last recording. We've had uh, the biggest news, which being the NBA Finals, and since our last recording, the Golden Knights have hired a new head coach. So we'll touch on both of those today. Let's start with the bigger of the two topics, though, being the NBA Finals. We're now approaching Game 6. The Warriors lead the Celtics 3-2 to two after picking up a Game 5 victory Monday night, that being by a final score of 104-94. to 94. And um, <laughs> I, I think a lot can be said about this series already. Yeah, um, we can always go in the in the refs' direction, um, but in 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 true honesty, um, the Celtics have also beaten themselves a lot of these games, um, and their youth is definitely showing, and their finals and experience is definitely showing, and um, and and I still think on paper Golden State is the better team. Um, you you you. you you, you're not going to win games when you're turning it over 16-plus times. I mean, you look at the numbers. Celtics in the playoffs thus far, they're 13-2 and two when they have less than 16 turnovers. Um, when they're producing more than 16 turnovers, I believe they're 1-7. and seven. Um, And they continuously – it seems like these last three games have found ways to um, get 16 turnovers or more. Um, so – and it's not even – you know, there there are plays where Golden State's defense is just kind of suffocating Boston, and they do some stupid. But a lot of it is just careless, dumb passes by Tatum, Brown, or Smart. Um, they got to learn to settle down. Um, you see it, uh, Jalen Brown especially. I think out of all people, um, has to settle down. I feel like he gets a little anxious when he's not scoring the ball, or when he makes a couple bad plays in a row. He wants it back, and he tries to do too much, and he gets careless with the basketball. Jason Tatum. Um, Whatever's going on with him, not not that he's playing terrible, but he's not playing as aggressive as he usually plays. He's got to find that aggression again um, and get to the basket. And the Celtics got to stop complaining when they don't get foul calls because they're not getting back on defense. So, I, mean, I can promise you with refs like Tony Brothers, sitting there and throwing up your arms. For one, Tony Brothers has officiated two finals games. Um, wh- and Scott Foster as well. Scott Foster's officiated one. Those guys, regardless of who they're in favor for, should not be officiating any NBA Finals games. Any. They are downright the worst refs in the NBA, and I think a lot of fan bases can agree on that. They should not be anywhere near an NBA Finals game because it makes it unwatchable. Seriously, it makes it unwatchable. Ask any fan in the NBA that's probably not a Warriors fan. They'll tell you that. Um but back to what I was saying, uh, sitting there and complaining, throwing up your arms up at refs, Tony Brothers is not going to say, you know what, Tatum, you proved a good point there. 
you know, let's let, let let's call a foul not possession. You know, that's not that, that's not going to happen. No ref in the NBA is, is not going to do that. You're just simply wasting your time um, by throwing up your arms and doing that, and you're not getting back on defense. Um, so I mean, that's stuff that has to change for the Celtics. You got to cut back on the turnovers. You have to move on. You have to have that next play mentality. Um, and I mean, if they can do that, I mean, they did that within the first three games. I feel like, and they had a two-one series lead, and then now they've lost. Two in a row. I mean, I feel like they're really outplaying the better Golden State team. Um, and now that they're kind of playing like the um, 20, 2021 Boston Celtics when they're 18 and 21, uh, Golden State is, is taking full advantage of that. And, and Golden State also has a lot to do, I feel like, with with, with Boston playing a little bit poorly. But, um, I mean, Boston's just got to figure out figure it out, I feel like. And once they can do that, um, and, and just start playing a little bit more comfortable because the Warriors have them a little uncomfortable right now. Once Celtics can get a little bit, little bit more comfortable, um, I feel like the series can go back in their in their favor. I mean, they've they've proven they can they can win on the road throughout the series. The Heat were unbeatable at home throughout the playoffs, uh, and Boston went three and one in Miami in that series. Uh, so if you win Game Six, I mean, I really don't feel like the location matters for Game Seven. I feel like the better team uh, is just going to win that game. So. And that's what's that's what's got to come down to to Boston, but um, I mean we'll see how they approach Game Six. You see the you see the emotional uh, quotes in the press conference after every game, after every loss, pretty much with every team. So we see we can we'll see if that actually translates uh, to the court, and we'll see if Boston plays with that sense of urgency and um, you know actually plays like their life is on the line because you know their their season is on the line on. On, on Thursday um, and I think the last thing especially in the city of Boston that they won't appreciate as all they won't appreciate at all is you know they don't want Golden State winning the finals in, in their building and celebrating it in their building um, so that's something they also have to keep in the back of their mind uh, you don't want that to be the first core memory um, when you walk into TD Garden next season to start off your 22-23 season of is uh the Warriors winning a, a championship in that building and the visitor locker room still smelling like champagne and all that from them celebrating. So um, got to get it done on, on Thursday and at least force a game seven and um, kind of put a little bit more pressure back on Golden State. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's just the sloppy basketball that's that's kind of killing them here, and that's kind of been the story of them all. story of the Celtics all season is um, turnovers. Um, they turn the ball over a lot. They're not going to win a basketball game. And... Um, the the excessive pouting when they're not getting foul calls is also um, another stinger to them. So those two things is really what they got to clean up, honestly. And I think they'll be okay if they can do that. But if not, you know, this is going to be a Warriors in six and Warriors in six or seven series. But there are some other things about the finals we got to discuss. I'll let Matt <coughs> give his um intake on the game real quick. Yeah, I mean, look, I I'm not going to go as far as to say that officiating has dictated games in the finals, but it's certainly become more noticeable. Um, you know, I think if you're a Warriors fan, you might have a, a case to make after game four about it because, you know, for what it's worth, I think there were some calls um, probably missed on uh, on Steph in particular that, um, you know, if I was a Warriors fan, I, I could see, you know, wanting to be called and all that. But I think you also look at game five uh, there were many instances where, um, you know, Jason Tatum is for, you know, basically getting shoved out of bounds with no call. Um, you had a, a very soft technical given to 
Ime Odoka at the end of the first quarter um, on a call that, quite frankly, was a bad call to start with. Um, I mean, I don't know what in the world the officiating crew was thinking calling a foul with 0.2 seconds left. In Tony the first Brothers game. didn't like the way uh, he – are you talking about the official on Ime, right? Yeah. Uh, or the, the technical? Yeah, right at, right at the end of the first quarter. Yeah, they did, um, Tony Brothers didn't like the way uh, – this is serious because Ime was talking about it in his press conference. He didn't like the way that he was pointed at. He may point it at him a certain way. He didn't, Tony Brothers didn't like that. He pointed at him because it was a bad call. Like, you don't, as an official. Don't point you, at Tony Brothers. As an official, you have to understand time and situation of where you're at. It's the last shot of the first quarter. Unless the guy gets absolutely tackled onto the floor, you should not be calling a foul on a buzzer beater shot because it's a it's a funky shot to start with. Typically, refs, the good ones, are going to let that one go. Unless something catastrophic happens. But Draymond doesn't get a tech for walking Tatum down all the way to the Celtics bench and then yeah. Draymond getting into getting into it with the Celtics bench. He doesn't get a technical for that. I'm not saying he was deserving of a technical for that. But, but if we're giving Ime a, a tech for, for pointing, pointing. Yeah. Um and again, it was a in my opinion, it was a fifty fifty call at best. Like it was, was is it a foul probably earlier in the quarter? Yeah, maybe. Um, I could make it. I can make the argument that it was a block too. It looked like some, you know, um, I forget who it was, but it looked like the the ball had gotten, you know, pretty pretty blocked as well. So, you know, I, I look at that and I go, you know, it, yes, it's in the first quarter, but it happened at the time where the Celtics were finally starting to get their sea legs back under them a little bit, and it just kind of killed all their momentum, um, and that and it kind of just slowed the game up a little bit, and then. You know, you look and, you know, Marcus Smart gets a technical later on in the game, I think in the third or fourth quarter um, after, I think it was, was it, uh, was it uh, Jordan Poole that he got? One yeah, of he got in some uh, with Jordan Poole. Yeah, where, I mean, he... Jordan Poole is doing a good job getting in, in, Smart's, in Smart's head. Yeah, um, but you, you get that, and I think that one I could maybe make a little more of a case for a technical because maybe it had kind of just accumulated through the game and... The refs had just had enough, but even still, I mean, um, it kind of goes back to the same point where, you know, if you're going to give Smart a technical for what looks like just looking for an explanation on a call, I mean, it's he's not like verbally going to attack the official. He's not, you know, all all up in the ref's face or anything like that. He's just simply frustrated. But, you know, Draymond Green can, you know, do his antics and you know, walk Tatum basically all the way down to the baseline and into the huddle and all that nonsense. Um, you know, I, 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 for this being the NBA finals, I would, I was expecting far better officiating and I, I've been vastly disappointed with it pretty much the entire series. Um, you know, the NBA needs to take a serious deep dive look into its officiating this off season and, you know, rework it plain and simple because the way it is now is it's not good. Like it's, I always like to say the best officiating is the one you don't even notice. Um, if if you don't notice the refs in the game, that means they probably did a good job. Um, the refs have become more noticeable during the series. Um, and quite frankly, it's just the inconsistency. You know, we, we've seen games where they swallow the whistle. And I'm fine with that. But make sure it's like that the entire game and for both sides. Or if you're going to call it heavy, make sure you're calling it heavy on both sides the entire game. Um, whichever way you decide to to call a game as an official, it should be for the entire game, and it should be for both ends, so that it's you know considered fi- officiated evenly. Now, 
on the Celtics side, the Celtics didn't do themselves very many favors either trying to win game five. I think they had a really, really strong push in the third quarter. Um, and then I think in the fourth quarter, they kind of... That Jordan Poole buzzer beater kind of... I think that's what kind of got Golden State the way, and that was a momentum changer for them. Yeah, and I mean, for what it's worth, do I mean, <laughs> I, I, in my opinion, I think if the game's officiated better, I don't even think Jordan Poole gets that three opportunity because if you look at the play before that on the other end, Tatum got mauled out of bounds, and yeah, the the whistle got swallowed there. So kind of goes. Well, back wasn't it Celtics ball too, or wasn't it supposed to be? Well, Celtic? it was the Celtic. The Celtics had the ball with Tatum. He. They were trying to trap him a little bit towards the sideline, and I mean, I don't think Jason Tatum falls out of bounds just voluntarily. Yeah. Um, especially when you know, given the way the game's already officiated to that point, and then um, he was able to get the ball out of a trap. I think over to maybe Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart, and I think they back rimmed a shot, got it to pool, pool did what he did. But I mean. That's kind of a momentum shifter right there, that buzzer beater. And then the fourth quarter, I mean, the the Warriors found other guys to start getting going. They didn't necessarily need to rely on Steph Curry. They got guys like Clay Thompson going. They got guys like Jordan Poole that was producing. Andrew Wiggins had a career game. You know, they found other ways to beat the Celtics outside of Steph Curry. And the Celtics, quite frankly, just stopped making shots. The shots they were making in the third quarter weren't going down in the fourth. Um you know, Tatum was exceptional in the third quarter. He's the biggest reason probably why the Celtics erased the double-digit deficit and took the lead was he was just making unreal shots from 35-plus feet out. And, you know, the the Celtics were playing cohesively as a team in the third quarter. I felt like that kind of went away in the fourth. Their intensity on defense started to drip away a little bit um, compared to where they were in the third quarter where they were putting together stops. They were putting together good possessions on offense. Um, and they were outplaying the Warriors. And so I, I think going now into game six, um, you know, you look at the stats, you have to really limit your turnovers if you're Boston. You know, ideally you commit less than 10 turnovers, you're probably going to win the game. Um, you know, I, I think you have to, regardless of if, if they're in favor or not, you have to play through the officiating, kind of like Joey said, um, and just play you know focus on outplaying the Warriors because there's been a good amount of times during the series that I've been able to point to and say yeah the Celtics outplayed the Warriors during x amount of time you know they I think in game five you could point to the third quarter um game four you could probably point to the first three quarters yeah so there I mean they've had their moments where they've just flat out outplayed the Warriors if they can focus on that going into game six knowing that they have the home court and knowing that their season's on the line you know, it might be enough to force a game seven. Um, I, I got the feeling after game five that this series could potentially be over as far as the Celtics winning it, just because I think it's a tough ask for any team, particularly one um, such as Boston, that for people, a lot of people forget are still very young as a core. Like you have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum that haven't even reached 25 yet, and Marcus Smart's only 28. So, I mean, you have a fairly young core in Boston that you know, it hasn't really been this far in the playoffs um, for a very long time. I mean, you have to go back to 2010 to find the last time Boston was in the finals compared to the Warriors who have won, who are looking to win, what, three in finals in the last four years or something like that? It's their six finals in eight, eight, in eight years. So yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you, you look at that and, you know, it's a more... Six finals appearance, not six championship. Yeah. And it's an experienced Warriors team now that 
you know, in in the in the NBA Finals have blown a three one lead. You know, they they've been through that already to where now they they have a three two lead. They know what it's like to play in an NBA Finals with the lead in the series. Um, it, it really felt like if Boston was going to win the series, they had to have Game Five, and it's a big reason why I always say a lot of times, even in just playoff series, whether it's in the NBA, the MLB, um, or the NHL, Game 5 is a lot more pivotal than a lot of people want to give it credit for because I would say about 80 to 85% of the time, if the team that wins Game 5, particularly if the series is tied at 3-2 or 2-2 going into Game 5, the team that wins that Game 5 is probably winning the series. And if I was going to grade it right now, I'd give the Warriors about an 85% chance to win the series. At, as don't don't right tell now. ESPN that because they'll, they'll come out with a new, oh, that was, that new BPI uh, thing. With, I, I'm glad. I'm like glad Celtics 91% chance to win now. I, I'm glad you brought that up because that kind of transitions ourselves to another portion of the NBA Finals that Joey and myself have not been too pleased with. And that and that's quite frankly the the coverage that it's been getting from ESPN, whether it's you know been some of the analysts that they've had grading the NBA Finals and... Um, just their different analytics. I mean, we saw the one stat that... Well, the most annoying thing is they're trying to make the Warriors underdogs. Yeah. It's like, they're, the Warriors are a great... The Warriors are a great team. Like, coming from a Celtics fan, the Warriors are a dynasty. They didn't make the playoffs the last two years because of injuries. Like, Draymond was hurt. Curry was hurt. Clay had not played in 900 and, what, 41 days or something like that? Mm-hmm. Like, they, they, they were going through the ringer. Now that they're fully healthy again, it's no shocker they're back in the finals. This is... The expectation for them, like they didn't, they never really needed Kevin Durant to. I mean, Kevin Durant. I'm not saying Kevin Durant didn't earn those two rings because I hate when people say that because Katie's a fantastic player and they won those championships because of him. But they're gonna get to the finals with or without him. Like that was gonna happen. Um, Katie was just a like a like a little like a, a bonus piece, I guess, if you will. But the Warriors are a great team with or without him, um, and they're probably gonna be in the back in the finals next year. Like, if you think the Lakers are gonna have some miracle run with the same exact team they won 33 games with, and they're going to dethrone this Warriors team, I suggest you go to a psych ward or go get counseling because, or just, you know, because, I mean, you're, you're having some issues coping here because, like, I'll tell you one thing, the Lakers are not going to get any, they're, like, they're going to get swept by the Warriors. The Warriors would sweep them. Yeah. Warriors, like, Warriors are going to sweep them. So I'll move on from that. But, um, yeah, they're, they're not underdogs here at all. Like everyone knew they were going to get back once they were healthy, and um, everyone had them winning the series, right. except your whatever that I don't know what the BPI yeah, computer. So, so the stat was af- after four games. So basically, going into Game Five, according to ESPN's Basketball Power Index, they had the Celtics graded at a seventy-one percent <laughs> chance to win the series. The Warriors had a twenty-nine percent chance to win the series. When the Warriors have home court, and before the series started, it was eighty-six percent chance Celtics. Yeah, and then the caption underneath was, um, according to our Basketball Power Index, uh, the Celtics are still favored to win the series. Contrary to actually, if you want to talk about Full being being favored to win the series, at that given moment, the Warriors. If you want to just talk about odds and favorite and underdog, the Warriors were the favorite to win the series going into Game Five, um, because. You know, um, you know the sports books here actually had some common sense, and they they realized that okay, it's two two. The Warriors have the home court, more playoff experience. Yeah, of course they're going to be the favorite. Like three future Hall of Famers on their team right now. Yeah, mm, this is this is a hard one. Um, and then and then you have outside of that, you have people 
Um, like we were talking about before the show started, we have people like Brian Windhorst that, you know, now, for one, are very contradictory to each other. Um, and two, um, at one, if, if, I'll put it this way, if the Warriors were playing the Lakers, ESPN would not be favoring the Warriors nearly as much. But because the Warriors are in the play or in the finals and they're playing against Boston, which ESPN probably looks at and goes, well, we don't like Boston all that much. We can at least stand the Warriors or not the Lakers, but they're, they, they're... they don't, they don't like Golden State either. And they can't stand them either. I mean, it's the heat warriors and Celtics from my knowledge, like those three contending teams I'll put, there's other teams they don't like, but they don't stand at, like they're not contenders. So we're not even going to waste time on them. Those three contending teams from my knowledge is what ESPN cannot stand. Yeah. But I mean, at least it feels like in this series, they, they tolerate Golden State more than they tolerate Boston, if that makes any sense. Well, not win horse. Cause he's given that, that checkbook win bullshit. Yeah. Like I'm not a Warriors fan, but I would have pissed me off too. Like, what are you talking? What, what are the Warriors? Ex- what are they supposed to do? Like, what are they? Like they drafted these guys. Like clay was drafted by Golden State. Draymond was drafted by Golden State. Curry was drafted by Golden they're not supposed to pay them when they are free agents and when they're due for a contract extension. Like, you're yeah. supposed to just be like, oh, well, you know, we don't want to have money. We don't want to have money. You know, we don't want to. We don't want to be those douchebags. So we're gonna we're gonna have to let you guys walk. Yeah, the Warriors only picked up. We'll start at, over. Of their, if you look at the Warriors' core, there's only one player that comes to mind that was acquired via trade. Everybody else they drafted. Like, if you take Andrew Wiggins out of the equation. Everybody else, you know, Kevon Looney, Curry, Thompson, Green. Even their young guys, Moses Woody, Kaminga, Jordan Poole. Jesus they were yeah. all drafted by the Warriors. Wiseman. So, so, I mean, if anything, tip your cap to the Warriors front office for, you know, finding good talent to draft. And, okay, if it's a checkbook win, that, that what does that make the Lakers 2020 win? What does that make, you know, basically any other finals win? An amazing comeback story of... Um, you know, but, you know, taking three months off. It, I mean, it was, even like, go back, even go back to um, Disney owns ESPN. They'll do a whole fucking two-hour documentary on it. Put you, on Disney. You, Plus. Well, even go back to if we remember the Miami Big Three, their first championship win. You want to talk about checkbook win? That that probably started the whole checkbook win era, where they picked up LeBron James. Dwayne Wade, who had just hit his prime, LeBron was in his prime, and they had Chris Bosh, who was also in his prime. And also having pieces like Shane Battier and uh, Mario Chalmers and yeah. Norris Cole. I mean, that team was pretty deep. But one thing, Windhorse is just like I'm not. I'm not trying to be like an ass, but he's just he's just he's an idiot. Just watching him, like even from his days on the jump, was the jump on ESPN was probably the worst. Show on all of television. You mean the Lakers pregame show? That too. Yeah, that's pretty much what it was. Like <laughs> I would rather watch it one of those like soap operas on CBS. Oh my that are playing like at eleven a.m. Yeah, I'd rather watch that than the jump. You had Rachel Nichols who was god awful. You had Windhorse who was terrible. Um, and yeah, which was like, um, I remember watching it in that twenty nineteen free agency when we got Kemba. Yeah, they were like, <laughs> I was losing my like like. How old, how old was I then? Um, let's see. I'm about to be 20. So I was like, what, 17, 16 at the time, I think? Yeah. I was losing my mind in my living room watching that show. Because they're like, they're, they, Philly signed Al Horford for four years, $109 million, which was 
I love Al Horford, but he's on a terrible contract. Yeah. He's 35 years old. He's getting paid north of 30, like close to $30 million a year. Terrible contract. I really hope that – I think it's a team option this year. I really hope that we just like stretch it out and give him like a four-year $40 million or something like that because like – Need a restructure for sure. Yeah, because like that that that's insane. I would like this to make regardless if we win or lose this series, we need to make some moves this offseason because, you know, we did squeak by a Bucks team that was without Chris Middleton. The Heat, I'm not concerned about. I'm not losing sleep over Max Struess. Um I'm not losing sleep over the Nets. But like the the Bucks are the team that scare me in the East. And obviously if you get back to the finals, like you're gonna need some more pieces to beat the Warriors, I think, still. Um so we're gonna have to make moves regardless. Um and in order for that to happen, I feel like you got to play around with this contract a little bit. That's a discussion for another podcast, but just came to mind. But anyway, Al Horford goes to Philly for four years, $109 million. Um, and they're acting like that's, this is the greatest the greatest free agency signing of all time. Rachel Nichols is, is losing her mind over it. And then minutes later, news comes in. Kemba Walker's coming to Boston. And they're like, and she's like, a little bit of an iffy move here. Kemba to Boston. And she's like slandering Keep in mind, which is pretty much the same thing. I mean, if anything, I get both experiments didn't end up working out. I mean, at least Boston got an Eastern Finals trip with with Kemba, right. and the one year he was healthy. I mean, he looked pretty good with us. Al Horford in Philly was a disaster. A disa- he was there for a year, and they got swept by the Celtics, and they shipped him off to OKC, where he didn't even play half the year. So that was a full full blown disaster. Um, but you would think on paper, looking at those two, Kemba's the better pickup, obviously, because he just had an, an, a like MVP caliber. He wasn't going to win MVP that year, but like looking at his numbers that year with Charlotte, like he had an insane season. I shouldn't use MVP. Had an insane season with the Hornets versus the year Al Horford had with Boston. Like, and you look that they're getting paid identical salaries. Like, I, I, I understand her logic on that. I was losing her mind. I was losing my mind, and like every little. Free agent acquisition that the that the Lakers and Sixers and Knicks got, she was just like going insane over. But like the Celtics, you know, would would pick up somebody, and she was just, I, I don't know about this one. So we'll keep, I just despise that show. But Windhorse, go, go ahead and say what you want. Well, keep in mind that's also the same offseason the Clippers brought in PG and Kawhi. I'm pretty sure she slandered that too. She's like, you know, I don't, I don't think that's enough to like whatever. The, and, like well, shut two, up. Uh, two of the top five players in the league at that time, both deciding to go to the same team, yeah. and it's like, eh, it's a small move. Well, she doesn't work at ESPN anymore because of her 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 racist comments she made. So, I'm right. not really, I'm not really surprised it came out of her mouth. But yet, she still tries to act like the victim. I think yeah. you sent something on about her um, in the SFL group chat three weeks ago where. She was like going through all the ESPN stuff or something. Yeah, and you know she was trying to pull her little victim card when she's when it's the, when it came out of her mouth, right? And then someone was recording it, and she's getting held accountable for what she said. And but somehow she's the victim. Yeah. Um, anyway, Windhorse. That was a whole Windhorse. whole other guy. There's a lot I could say about him, and I'm not going to say it on on the mic here. Yeah. Um, probably smart. Probably smart. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway. So yeah, in that video where he says checkbook win, yeah. he literally contradicts himself in that video f- because he says Andrew Wiggins is not an underdog because he's getting paid $32 million. No later than 30 seconds, 30 seconds later, he says Timber- the Timberwolves were literally trying to give him away for free. 
That I mean, that sounds like an underdog to me. I mean, let's let there's 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 plenty of players in the league that have bad contracts. I mean, that's not really his fault. This, the Timberwolves were trying to give him away. They didn't want him anymore. They're trying to dump him off. Like they're they're anxious to get rid of him. Um, and let's not act like everybody in the league was calling Andrew Wiggins. So- I remember all the soft memes about Andrew mm-hmm. Wiggins and saying he was done and you know he was a bust and like when people were. I can't believe they were comparing him to Kobe and all this when because that's one of his people were comparing him to Kobe when he first got drafted or whatever. They were slandering Andrew Wiggins. Um, they were dragging him. Um, so he definitely deserves. I mean, Andrew Wiggins deserves all the love he's getting right now, and I feel like he is underdog and he's 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 a he's a player that's impossible to root against. I feel like mm-hmm. um, even watching this this series and being a Celtics fan. I, I, I can't get mad when Andrew Wiggins scores. I can't get mad when Andrew Wiggins makes a play because uh, he's come such a long way. His talent's always been there. He's always been such a talented player. Um, but you can tell, I don't know what it's, maybe it's just been a, a mental thing with him. Um, but to, 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 to go to Minnesota, you're the number one scoring option. The whole Jimmy Butler experiment doesn't work out. Um, in those In those years and a year after, you're really not yourself. You go to Golden State, a team that's pretty much tanking. You're 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 again the number one scoring option there, but like you can tell he wasn't really comfortable that that first year there. Come back, you get you as the years go on with the Warriors, you just get pushed further and further down like the the, the scoring option list. Curry, Clay, um, Wiseman, Jordan Poole. And yet he's still finding a way to make an impact. Like he still made an all-star game this year. He still averaged 18 points a game. Um, in this finals, these last two games, he had 17 and 16, 26 and 12. Um, he's finding ways to get it done. And um, overall, like he is, he, he is such a great fit with that Warriors team. And I feel like he, from, from, from being a number one pick and being that number one scoring option in Minnesota and having, he wasn't going to be no Kobe. I mean, I could tell you that from the start, but having that comparison to going, going to Golden State and being, Let's just say he's the third scoring option on that team right now, third or fourth. Um, to make that transition is not easy. It's you're you're downgrading. I mean, not your teams obviously, but your roles. Um, but to but to still be a great player and have an impact and not let that get the best of you uh, is such a huge accomplishment. And um, I mean, Warriors are gonna have a tough decision to make here in a couple of years when they're gonna have to pull out the checkbook again. God forbid. Um, and pick between Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole but I mean that's that's a that's a good decision I mean that's a that's a lot of um decisions I I bet a lot of GMs would wish they you know would be in because I'd rather have to pick between two great guys than you know not have anyone at all and you're you're stuck in the same um cycle every year back at the draft and you have to hope that this one hits so uh, that's a good position to be in if you're the Warriors to pick between two really good players versus trying to figure out what you're going to do at that position. So Andrew Wiggins is a great player. I think he is absolutely an underdog. Um, he deserves all the love he's getting. And if Curry didn't have that 43-point game, I feel like Andrew Wiggins could be a real contender for uh, finals MVP. Um, and if he plays like he's been playing the last two games and Curry um, you know, continues to struggle like he did in game five, Andrew Wiggins could absolutely win a finals MVP. Uh, I really hope he does win finals MVP. Uh, he's a he's a really great player. Like I said, he's come a long way. That's not easy to, you know, like I said, be the guy, and then six seven years later, you're you're the third fourth scoring option, and 
you're still having a huge impact on that team and, and finding a way to get it done. Like that is not that is not easy to do. So many so many number one picks who have struggled with their first team, their their career has been pretty much over after that. And for Andrew Wiggins to still be going right now and still look like a pretty damn good player doing it, um, that's that's such a great accomplishment. So I don't know what one horse was saying. Um, and like I said, he literally contradicted himself in that in that um, in that video. But yeah, I don't I don't I don't know what the Warriors are supposed to do when when they have money and they're supposed to pay players. Like all these guys on their team were in house except Andrew Wiggins. Everyone except Andrew Wiggins and Andre Godala. And Andre Godala is like 50 years old now, so I don't think he matters that much anymore. Are all people brought in um, through the draft? So that's a built team, not a bot team. Unlike a lot, like the Miami, even the Miami Heat right now are pretty much a bot team. Um, you look at the Lakers; they're a bot team. The Clippers, even they're a bot team. So, um, Warriors and Celtics are built teams, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I don't even know what that comment means. A checkbook win? So they're spending too much money. I, like, that's true. I like, like we're me and Matt were making jokes. Like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I really do not know what that means. I'm trying to figure. So, like, if the if the Warriors, let's just say they're considered a checkbook team according to Winhorth. What contending team isn't though? Is my question. Like, what the, the Thunder? Like the Thunder have two max slots open, I think, still at least. And look where where that got them. Like they've got a really good talent in Shea. But are they are they a checkbook win because they're saving so much money? Like I don't. Like <laughs> you have to spend. Like <laughs> saying a team is a checkbook team or a checkbook win. <laughs> like Windhorse honestly just made himself sound about fifteen years older than he probably actually is. Like that 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 sounds like an old time fan that's upset about all these players making the amount of money that they are like we're in the day and age now in the nba where if you don't spend money and you don't have you know i would say at least two max players on your roster you're probably not contending like there's a pretty good chance of that yeah my, my favorite is on like that kind of that's to go too off topic but you just mentioned how you know a lot of old heads get mad that how much money these players make and they're like it's you know they they make a hundred million dollars a dribble of basketball yet whoever only makes eighty thousand dollars a year i'm like because the nba jet it, it's like it, there's it's not like it's a set salary by state government and they're like right. you get sixty thousand this nba player gets 40 million a year it's the nba makes so much money just like the nfl and all these other leagues right this is only like a fraction of of what the league makes and that they're giving it back to the players. It's not like a set salary by somebody in power. Mm-hmm. It's that the league generates so much money, you dumbass. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah I, I, like me and I were making, like, I don't know if, does, does Brian Windhorse have like a, a five cents off the gallon Maverick card? It's a checkbook and win. Like, it's a check, honey, it's this check, is a real checkbook win. Checkbook and his wife's win. just, oh, Brian, please. <laughs> Uh, When's the NBA season start again so you can start going on these road trips? Extended road trips, you know, like, you know, months at a time, <laughs> uh, seasons at a time. But anyway, that's... I'll tell you when the season's in, in play, honey. It's a real checkbook win for us. Uh, it, it, she's like, oh, yeah, believe me. It is. Um, <laughs> but move, moving on. Yeah. Um, let's talk about... It might not be necessarily a checkbook win, but it's definitely a win for an organization here in town. Um, the Golden Knights have, after a what seemed to be a lengthy wait uh, have decided on a head coach and a pretty good one at bat. They got Bruce Cassidy, a former Boston Bruins head coach, uh, was only unemployed for about a week. He got fired from the Bruins last week, now hired by the Golden Knights as their next head coach. 
initial thoughts on Bruce Cassidy being the head coach? Checkbook win. Um, yeah, great, great hire. Um, you know, this is a guy who had pretty good success uh, up in Boston with the Bruins the last three years, I believe. Um, and I mean, it seemed like a no brain, no brainer hire. As soon as I don't know what the reason was, the Bruins let him go. Uh, but for whatever, whatever reason, uh, it kind of seemed like a no brainer uh, once he was out there. And this um, Vegas is just becoming a um, a spot for old Boston coaches. You look at Josh McDaniels, former Patriots coach. Um, or New England area coaches, I should say, because Patriots are technically in Foxborough. Um, Josh McDaniels, old Patriots coach. Uh, Raiders GM, old Patriots GM. And you look at uh, the Vegas Golden Knights now, um, uh, old uh, old Bruins head coach. So maybe maybe Brad Stevens is going to come coach UNLV soon. God, I hope not. Um, <laughs> he's a good college coach. but I, I, He would probably find a way. He'd either find a way to lose here or – uh, UNLV would give up on him after one season. He'd go like 21 and 10. They'd be like, ah, we should have been in the final four, so you're done. Right. Um, but re- a really good hire by Vegas. Um, you know, the, the worry was is you're going to go a little bit into a rebuild mode here, but I think when you go out and get a coach like Bruce Cassidy, it still sends a message that, hey, you know, we didn't make the playoffs last year, but we still want to be uh, we still want to be contenders for the long run. And one thing Vegas has to do with this head coach and – what they should have learned from their previous two coaches was uh, patience. Mm-hmm. Um, you you filed you fired Gallant year three after he made like try and make this make sense. He made the Stanley Cup year one. He made the playoffs year two, and he was. I know hockey goes off a point system. I don't remember how many exactly exact points they had, but their record was like twenty five and seventeen, and they had one loss in, in a shootout. I think. Yeah. So and they. A winning record. Yeah. Seven games above, like if we're doing NBAs, you'd be seven games above 500 pretty much. Two and a half years in. Yeah. Um, with a Stanley Cup appearance as well. Yeah. And a division championship and a conference championship. They fired him um, for whatever reason. And this is an expansion team. Like usually when you're in, it takes you five, six years to even get into the playoffs. Like we made the Stanley Cup year one and we already made the, we we're going to make the playoffs for the third straight year. We were on track to do that. Fired him. They bring in the coach at San Jose Fire, Pete Dobier. He had a good run here. I mean, he made he made, he made the playoffs what twice. Made a won a division. Uh, won a division championship. Made a conference finals. He didn't make the playoffs one year. We fired him. Mm-hmm. Now we bring in Bruce Cassidy. Um, so the thing with him is you got to be patient. I feel like you at least got to give him four years unless he's god awful, which I don't think he's gonna be. Then obviously you got to give him the boot. But if he's having a similar uh, record as Dobier or as um, as as, as Gallant, uh, you gotta. I think you got to be patient. You got to stick with him because look at the the incredible run Gallant just had with the New York Rangers. I mean, he got him all the way to the conference finals. Um, I don't even think they made the playoffs last year, did they? I don't believe they did. Yeah. Um, so he he's still proving that he's a great coach, and um, I don't think Dobier's gotten another job yet. But we'll see what happens with him. So. With Bruce Cassidy, um, Vegas just has to be patient. They have to understand um, they, they can't take the success they've had for granted. Um, and, um, you know, because for one, you probably shouldn't even have it. Not saying that they didn't deserve it, but um, a lot of expansion teams like that, they don't get that kind of success. Um, and it takes years. Look at the Kraken, for example. They had a really rough year this season. Um, and they're probably going to have that for the next two or three years. Like, it's going to take them a while to actually build something uh, down in Seattle. Um, so... 
that's going to be the big thing with Bruce Cassidy. But I think, and overall, that's a that's an A plus hire. Um, it was a no brainer, and um, I think again, like I said, it sends a message that that Vegas wants to contend still, and that they'll be a um, a playoff team again next season. Yeah, I, I think if you're going to wait, somebody the- co- players want to play for, uh, players want to play for as well. Mm. I think if you're going to wait this long to hire a head coach, Vegas had to make sure they made the right hire, and I think they did. Um, you know, Bruce Cassidy, I believe, went uh, 245, 108, and 56 or something like that um, with the Bruins. Um, had, brought a career winning percentage of .635, which is you know pretty good. You're winning over 63% of your games over the course of your career as a head coach. Um you know, and I think the biggest thing is that um, the biggest thing is that you have to, um, like Joey said, especially, and this is this applies to the Golden Knight front office, but I think it also applies to the fan base as well. You have to show patience. Um, you know, they ju- the Golden Knights just missed the playoffs for the first time in five years. Um, you know, in the, in their first five years as an, as an organization at that as well. Um, am I confident that Bruce Cassidy can get this team back into the playoffs? Yes, because I think Vegas is put together right now where they're not a Stanley Cup final roster yet. Um, they, quite frankly, they may have dis- dismantled the Stanley Cup final roster over the course of the past probably two or three seasons, but they're still talented enough to get to the playoffs and maybe talented enough to get past, you know, the first round. But right now there's still a lot of decisions that have to be made on that roster. You have, uh, for one, you've if you're the Golden Knights, you've had so many different problems at the salary cap. Like, it, it feels like since this team came into existence in really, you could even say after year one, this team has been dealing with salary cap issues for probably the last three to four seasons of constantly being at the cap, being over the cap, having to get back under the cap. They've never really had um, any spare money to use on the roster. And granted, a lot of that has to deal with the fact that they've extended a lot of guys. They've signed a lot of guys long-term. And they've really made decisions that they wanted guys for security, but they paid the price in the checkbook for it. Um, you know, they, that's really oh, where... Don't say, don't say checkbook. I know. Uh, but that's really where the Golden Knights kind of paid the price for what it. What horse was. is going to be right outside the booth here? It, it, that that might not... I mean, it, it involves a checkbook, but it might not be considered a checkbook win given that you look at the roster, you're tied up with William Carlson for quite some time still. You're still tied up with... Uh, Jonathan Marcheseau, you're still tied up with Mark Stone. Like, you have a lot of guys that you're still, you know, tied up, you know, contract-wise for at least the next three to four seasons and, you know, at pretty good pennies is that, you know. Like, William Carlson's making a good amount. So is Jonathan Marcheseau, Mark Stone, Max Hatchetti, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all, all those guys are long-term, high-dollar deals. And it, that constantly puts you up against the salary cap. And so... Right now, I think the best thing that Vegas can do is figure out who they really want on this roster because inevitably we saw this really come to fruition last season. They're just not going to be able to keep everybody. Like They just don't have the salary cap for it. Uh, they're going to have to probably let some guys go. 
I think you keep a lot of the the big core guys like the I don't think Carlson's going anywhere. Marcheseau, Pacioretty, Stone, um, guys like Alec Martinez. I don't think are going anywhere. Um, if anything, maybe you you ponder the idea of dealing a guy like Riley Smith for cap space. Um, although I, I I think if if the offer is right. I think you give a serious look into dealing Robin Leonard. Um, I think Robin Leonard right now becomes more of a liability for the Golden Knights than anything. I think he's been a liability for quite some time now, and, and Vegas has just kind of been numb to it or have chose to ignore it for this long. Um, but out, if you take Robin Leonard's performance in the bubble away from the equation, because he was great in the bubble, he's been a mediocre 500 goalie at best. He's been a little below mediocre, honestly. And, you know, he's... You know, yes, he's been. He's not. A, he's not a playoff goalie, and someone you can rely on. Then right, and you know he he's had his own fair share of personal battles. You know, dealing with mental health and all that, and you know that that's obviously something you want to get addressed if you're Robin Leonard. But I think if you're the Vegas Golden Knights, you also have to look at that from a business uh, decision as well. Like we understand you have these mental uh, health problems, and you know we obviously want you to get those addressed and taken care of, but that does mean you become a liability to us on the ice. And if we're paying you north of $5 million a year, we can we, we would rather use that money on a guy that we know is going to be there for us, you know, be reliable and, you know, be able to play game in and game out and really be a true number one goalie. Because it felt like Robin Leonard was a great number two when he had Flurry in there and he didn't have to play as much. And then they dealt away Flurry, made Robin Leonard the number one. And Robin Leonard just showed he wasn't a really good number one guy. He's a good number two. Like, if if you if, if there's a team that is looking for a decent backup goalie that, you know, you need him to play 25 to 30 games a year, Robin Leonard can probably do that for you. Can he play 55 to 60? Probably not. Like, that's just not what he's built to do. And I think the Golden Knights are in a good enough spot in goaltending where they have guys behind Leonard that – you know, they don't, the Golden Knights don't necessarily need to trade goalie for goalie. Like, they've got guys like Rob, um, that, that, you know, they have Brossois that played a little bit this year. They have even Logan Thompson, who I've been a big fan of even since he's been in the AHL. I thought he's been an outstanding goalie and he had his shining moments even in the NHL uh, this past season. So I think goaltending wise, like, the, the Knights are in a spot where they can deal Robin Leonard for cap space. Um, they could deal him for another position player. Like they don't necessarily have to go just goalie for goalie. And that you know, finding different ways like that where the Knights can save on cap space, um, that has to be, I think, their biggest point of emphasis right now this off season is how do we get fairly comfortable under the cap while we still keep a lot of the core guys that we want to keep? Because like we, like I said, at the end of the day, they're going to have to face the music and realize we just can't keep everybody because of how our roster is structured. Checkbook wins. That's what they got to go for this offseason. Yes, but uh, real quick before we get out of here, we do have the Stanley Cup Finals starting tonight between the the Tampa Bay Lightning and Colorado Avalanche. I guess who wins the series and then who wins game one? Uh, I think I'm going to go with Colorado. Uh, Colorado's been finished here with 119 points, nine points ahead of Tampa. Not that that means anything in the playoffs, but they've been, um, at least offensively, one of the most dominant teams, I think, in the NHL this year. Uh, just sweeping the Edmonton Oilers, a pretty good team led by Connor McDavid there. Um, so I'm going to go Avalanche in six, and I think they win game one at home tonight. I'm going Tampa Bay. I'm going to go Tampa Bay, and I think they win game one. I like Tampa Bay's playoff pedigree, playoff pedigree and championship pedigree that they carry with them, being the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. Um, I think they have a better head coach on their bench. 
Um, they have a player in Steven Stamkos that can match McKinnon as far as star player. And I think they have the better goaltender right now. Um, you look at Colorado, they might be going with Darcy Kemper, who's an okay goalie. But, you know, you look at the other side for Tampa Bay, they have Andre Vesileski, who has been an absolute stud the past two or three seasons, you know, has been, um, you know, goalie of the year award uh, nominee, you know, for a few years now. Um, and quite frankly, he's one of the best in the league. And in the playoffs, especially deep in the playoffs and in Stanley Cup final, you need really solid goaltending, uh, you know, to really stand out. And I think Tampa Bay has a lot of that and they have, they check a lot of the boxes. And um, I, I think Tampa can turn a lot of heads, especially starting here in game one. And uh, they might be able to steal one in Denver, given that Colorado has home ice. And the other thing is Colorado has been off for a while. They haven't played, I think, in at least a solid week, if not longer. Um, they, they've had quite a bit of time off. It also might be good for them, though, getting um, the same argument you can make for taking time off. I think uh, rest is also is also good, especially when you're uh, like in the playoffs, whether it's NBA or NHL, you're playing a lot of games where um, you play a game, you got to go travel and you got a game the next day. So, I mean, that's kind of what a lot of these guys talked about in the bubble is that they were able to recover, recover so easily because they didn't have to travel and hop on a plane. Um, so I feel like that also takes a toll on you a little bit as well. And yeah. being able to not go into a, a six game series and kind of sit back and rest at home and get ready for the next one. Um, I feel like they always knew they were going to play Tampa as well. Um, it may be a little bit beneficial to them. Yeah, and um, shout out to the uh, Steelers, by the way. Big checkbook win for them. Yeah, big checkbook win. We'll talk about that next episode. Yes. Patrick staying in, in Pittsburgh. Yes, we'll, we'll touch on that for sure. Next episode should be coming out tomorrow. We imagine that next episode, um, and then hopefully get you guys one more on Friday before we wrap up the week. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in to the Back and Forth Podcast. Again, we apologize for the delay of the time off, but should be back now on a fairly normal schedule and uh, looking forward to getting you guys more content. The Instagram page for Back and Forth is at Back Forth Podcast. Twitter is at Back Forth Pod. Follow both of those for sure and make sure you uh, subscribe wherever you get your audio podcast for the Back and Forth Podcast. And enjoy the rest of your day. I've been your host, Stat Matt, alongside uh, my co-host, Joey G. And we are back tomorrow with more episodes of the Back and Forth Podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow.